Um, I, this week I got the opportunity to meet a couple different times with some other pastors within Stratford and, and some other ministry leaders just in the area. And, and believe it or not, when pastors get together, you can probably guess what pastors do. They talk about the church that they're at and they talk about what's going on at the church. And, and uh, sometimes, man, we just end up praising God and, and being so thankful for what God is doing in each and all the churches. Sometimes we have to stop and we have to pray for that pastor or pray for uh, what's going on at the church because, you know, we're in the midst of a spiritual battle. As we've been looking at battles in Joshua, that's kind of a, a, a shadow of what we go through every single day as God's people. As we move into God's promise and move into His purpose and be a part of His plan, is we're going to go through spiritual battles. We're going to hit obstacles. We're going to have victories and we're going to have defeats. But I, I bring up those times I was with Pastor because I, I got to share about what has been going on at Harvest Hill and uh, just, you know, it kind of helped me process everything about what's been going on in Harvest Hill for almost three years now. Uh, Hurchins are blessed to be a part of the ministry of Harvest Hill now for almost three years here in a couple months. And uh, what God has been doing through the ministries over the summer and the ministries we just started up with Wednesday Night Live and, and in particular started talking about the series we're going through right now and and as I began to, to share about some of the things that, that God's been speaking to me and speaking to us as a church from the book of Joshua, like I said, it's helped me process. And I realized that, you know, as much as I felt drawn in God leading me to preach from Joshua, and I appreciate your all's kind words on Sunday mornings when you tell me it was a great message. And for those Sundays, I don't hear that at all. I, I go home cry, but um, just kidding. Um, I do ask Jamie, was that okay? Uh, but anyway, that's just my own dealings I got to work out. But anyway, uh, begin process thinking, okay, even though I learn a lot through my study and my prep and, and getting prepared and, and prayer for whatever's going to happen here this morning or on Sunday mornings, as I was talking about what God has been sharing with me through Joshua and the things he's been reiterating over and over again, it made me think, man, God, you really want me to preach this message, not just for Harvest Hill, but more for myself and the battles that we go through, because um, I just learned a lot by processing it and, and talking about it. And so I say that because even though we gather in and out on Sunday mornings, and we open the Word of God, and we do worship time, and, and we hear a message, and we leave, um, share about what God's teaching you. Talk with people. Talk with it over lunch or throughout the day or throughout the week about what happened at church. And it really is amazing how the Holy Spirit will allow you to get to a deeper level of what you heard and, and to be able to understand even more. Um, but we're, we're dealing with Joshua, and I felt like I could, I could fit in Joshua's shoes or sandals or whatever he was wearing at the time, and we all can. We've all been called into the promise of God for the purpose of expanding God's kingdom and will in an area. And while we do that, we're going to meet setbacks. We're going to go through trials. We're going to have moments of defeat, but at the same time, we're going to have victory, and we're going to have that promise that God is good. He's never going to let us down, and He's always going to be with us and never leave us or forsake us. The constant language that God speaks to Joshua and the words He uses over and over in Joshua, if you just sit down and read Joshua from front to back, you'll see God saying this over and over again throughout the book. Joshua, do not be afraid. Just having to remind him not to fear about whatever Joshua is, is seeing, whatever he is hearing, whatever he's experiencing, to remind him, do not be afraid because I'm with you, Joshua. 
And we need that. Even in our, in our good moments, but throughout the week, we need that reminder of God coming to us as his children, saying, I understand your battles. I understand what's on the horizon. Matter of fact, our God knows what we can't even see that's coming. In the midst of all that, he continues to say, do not be afraid. I'm with you. And we're going to see it again this morning. Again, we're going to begin Joshua chapter 10 beginning in verse 29, and we're going to work our way through verse 11. For the sake of time, we're not going to read all the text, but we're going to read some clumps here and there. Um, we're going to be looking at the finishing of the southern conquest of promised land, the almost immediate downfall of the northern conquest of promised land, and then the completion of the conquest in part, and we'll see how that plays out the next couple of weeks. But we are going to read in verse 29 through verse 39, and there's a reason for it, and you'll see here in a second. But read along with me. Joshua chapter 10, verse 29. And then Joshua and all Israel with him passed on from Mecca to Libna and fought against Libna. And the Lord gave it also and its king into the hand of Israel, and he struck it with the edge of the sword, and every person in it he left none remaining in it. And he did to its kings as he had done to the king of Jericho. Then Joshua and all Israel with him passed on from Libna to Lachish and laid siege to it and fought against it. And the Lord gave Lachish into the hand of Israel, and he captured it on the second day and struck it with the edge of the sword and every person in it as he had done to Libna. Verse 33, Then Haram, king of Gezer, came up to help Lachish, and Joshua struck him and his people until he left none remaining. Verse 34, Then Joshua and all Israel with him passed on from Lachish to Eglon, and they laid siege to it and fought against it. And they captured it on that day and struck with the edge of the sword, and he devoted every person in it to destruction that day, as he had done to Lachish. Then Joshua and all Israel with him went up from Eglon to Hebron, and they fought against it and captured it and struck with the edge of the sword and its king and its towns and every person in it. And he left none remaining, as he had done to Eglon, and devoted it to destruction and every person in it. Verse 38, then Joshua and all Israel with him turned. Do you get the point over and over again? I, he, go, he fought against it. Verse 39, he captured with his king and his talents, and they struck with the edge of the sword and devoted destruction to every person in it. He left none remaining, just as he has done to Hebron and Libna and its kings. So, so he did to Debir and to its kings. Over and over again, we get this story, and you know, building up to this point, you had Jericho, and you had I, and, and, and you, had, you had these situations with the five kings, and we did complete details of how these things play out, and the struggles Joshua had, and the struggles Israel had, but then we get to the final parts of the southern conquest, and it's just like, bam, 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 one after the other, with not a whole lot of detail, except the caption that he did to it, just as he did to that. Um, I don't know about you, but I am an action movie type of person. Would anybody be willing to say that's the type of person you are? You know, dramas are fine, romantic comedy is okay, but, you know, give me the action, right? I am I'm one of those people that unless I bought a movie ticket and I'm sitting in the movie theater, and that's probably because I'm just cheap and I won't walk out unless it's like something completely against my convictions, but if we're at home, we rented a movie, and we pop it in, we start watching, even if it's got great reviews and people are saying it's the best movie ever, best, best story ever, if the movie starts out by building characters and plot points and, and you get to know what's going on in the surrounding area and the town and the community and there's not like a boom, bang type of thing, I'm like, you know, you can finish it, but I'm probably walking away. 
I need something right off the bat that's going to explode, that's going to grab my attention, that's going to pull me in. And then you can throw in the drama, then you can throw in the romantic comedy stuff, but there's got to be something that grabs my attention in order for me to keep through that. I will admit, there are things in the Bible, when you read through it, it's like, ugh. It doesn't, it just kind of moves along. And when you, if you were to read this for your quiet time or your Bible study time, verse 29 through 39, over and over again, the same format, Joshua and all of Israel, Joshua and all of Israel, and they did to that they, as they did to that. And it just doesn't seem action-packed like what we've already had with Jericho and I and, and the five kings. I mean, we want some description. But there's a point for all these things. Just as there's a point for the exciting stuff in Leviticus and the exciting stuff in Chronicles and, and Numbers and all that stuff, there's a point because it sets up those stories that we truly do love, those stories that have stuck with us since we were a child. And so I want to kind of help you to understand what we can get through moments in Scripture that seem to be plot points and character development and setting the story up that if I was watching in a movie, I would say, all right, you can finish it, but I'm going to bed or I'm going to go do something else. If you read through verse 29 and 39 and you heard me reading it, you probably caught something that has happened over and over again. It says five different times. Verse 29, then Joshua and all Israel with him. Verse 31, then Joshua and all Israel with him. Jump to verse 34, then Joshua and all Israel with him. 36, then Joshua and all Israel with him. Verse 38, can you guess what it says? Then Joshua and all Israel with him. When you read through those moments in Scripture that it just seems kind of dull, it just seems like you're trying to just get through that, so I can get through that David and Goliath moment or that Samson moment, and you're just kind of, Ugh, I, I made the promise, I'm going to read the entire Bible, so I'm going to get through this. Look for those phrases, look for those key words that seem to happen rather repetitively. They just keep popping up. They keep being said, for some reason God has put this in here, it's His word for correcting and rebuking and training in righteousness. And in this in these passages where we don't get a whole lot of detail, we do get this phrase over and over. Then Joshua and all Israel with him. But what does that do for us? You know, what is God trying to say with us? Well, if, if we remember, which I know you all remember every message we've done in Joshua, right? Every message is just locked away, it's stored in your cabinet, and, and you can bring it out at any moment. Several weeks ago, a couple chapters ago, but several weeks ago for us, maybe even a month, the only defeat that Israel and Joshua had within the promised land was at Ai. And at Ai, Joshua was given a report by the spies of what Ai was. It did not appear very strong. It appeared kind of weak. And the spies told Joshua, you don't need to send everybody there. You send about two or 3,000 of our men to Ai, and they'll take the city. And then we know what happened. What happened at Ai? They lost. They met defeat. Now, there was also sin in the camp. That was a, a prevailing issue as well. But from that point on, the Lord comes to Joshua and he says, you take all of the men. And in every battle situation, from, from Jericho, not the defeated eye, but the victory at eye, to the five kings, to here in the finishing of the southern of the promised land, all of the people of Israel went with Joshua to fight the battles. And we can take this as a message that it is meant to be a united front. 
God wanted all of Israel to be about His mission, and we apply that to our life, that we are to be united front of God's people with one common goal. This plan, this purpose, this conquering of the promised land wasn't just for Joshua. It wasn't even just for one clan or tribe of Israel. It was for all of Israel to be a part, and they had one common goal with one purpose, and that was to bring God's plan into fruition, and we are to do the same thing today. We are to be a people united under the one true God, saved by the only Savior, and have the only Holy Spirit inside of us, united with one common goal. And it's a simple goal. We don't have to go to war like Joshua but it's a goal that we battle with every single day. And I know because I've talked to some of y'all here, if some of y'all have a bitter taste in your mouth because you've not experienced this common goal within God's people. Our goal is to love. Our goal is to love. The command, grace commandment, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love people or your neighbor as yourself. We summarize it at Harvest Hill, love God, love people. Our goal is to love, and we are to be united as God's people at Harvest Hill with this one common goal. We are to love God, and we are to love people. And you know it, that if you've experienced anything but love within God's people or at a church, it has left a bitterness in your heart and a bad taste in your mouth. People leave churches not because of the love story of God or the gospel message. They leave churches because they've not experienced the love of God from God's people. This is our goal. Matter of fact, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 25, the danger of not doing this is it causes division. And Jesus said, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. Now, as God's people, we call ourselves the family of God. You all remember that old hymn? I'm so glad I'm a part. Well, Jody's doing it, so the rest of y'all, you need to hang out with Jody, and she'll teach you the song, and you can do your clapping and all that. But here's the thing about families. Families are funny, right? Does your family always get along? Does your family always agree? Everyone always wants to share their stuff, and everyone always wants other people invading their space, and everybody always wants people over at their house. I mean, we do, but we always set a time limit, right? It's the holiday season, so we expect family to come around. But, you know, New Year, come. I'll send you a card. You know, even families, we don't always get along. We have disagreements. We have disagreements within our, our marriage at times, we don't always agree on, on certain things. We have disagreements with our kids, and our kids obviously have disagreements. The house of God, the family of God, will have disagreements. And sometimes it's big disagreements. Sometimes it's doctrinal issues. Sometimes it's just, you know, stupid stuff that people get kind of carried away with. But what we can agree on is that we are loved by a God more than we can possibly ever imagine. And because He loves us that much, we can get past our disagreements and we can love each other as family. We may not always agree. I may not even want to be around you for a period of time. But I still love you. 
And because we belong to God and belong to one another as God's children, we're going to work our way through this. Because the worst thing that can happen as a church, the worst thing can happen as God's people is when the bride of Christ and the physical representation of the body of Christ in this world is to not be united in love. That's the worst thing we can do. Jesus said in John chapter 13, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are, are to love one another. By this, by our love for one another just as He loved us, by this all people will know that you are my disciples or that you belong to me if you have love for one another. This is huge if we put this in perspective. The world will know that we belong to Christ, that we love Christ, and we represent Christ, not by our worship services, not by our building, not by our budget, not by our preacher, not by our Bible study teachers, not even by our prayer services. The world will know that we love Christ, belong to Christ, and represent Christ if we love each other. huge because as a church we can get so overwhelmed with all the other stuff the world won't even know that we love Christ belong to Christ represent Christ by all the ministries we put on yet it seems like that's what we feel tempted to do as a church is we've got to do more and more stuff and have more and more things happening but that's not what Christ said he says, if you love one another, then all people will know you are my disciples and you belong to me. Which means the opposite is true. We can have incredible worship services, incredible preaching, right? Amen. Thank you, Larry. <laughs> incredible ministries like Wednesday Night Live, Vacation Bible Schools, incredible people involved in serving in those and sacrificing in those times. We could have a budget that just blows the roof off this place. We could have a building that everyone is just coveting. We have all the right stuff, but if we fail to love one another, we've completely missed it. We are to be united, one common goal. And it's something we're going to struggle with on this side of turning forever. Love God and love each other. Then people will know that we belong to Him. And so we read these passages, then Joshua and all Israel is that statement that God is making all of God's people to be united. There's another statement within these fun verses that, that jumps out, and it's something we've read already. It happens in verse 30 and 32, and it, it just reiterates that it was the Lord giving. And just applying that to the act of love, it's a reminder that all of our endeavors are completely relying upon the Lord's promise, power, and provision. <coughs> Joshua and Israel had, had some incredible victories already. But it was only the Lord giving the next victory that they were able to push on. We've had some incredible victories at Harvest Hill. We've seen salvations. We've seen new faces. We've seen new ministries. We've seen new things happening and God stirring. 
But if we ever get to the point that we do like Vacation Bible School or Wednesday Night Live or even just a worship service, and we, most of us grew up, grew up in church, and so we know how to do worship. But if we do all of this stuff without being completely reliant upon God, we're going to miss the point. We'll just be doing stuff. Doing as 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says, we'll just be making noise. The Bible says in Proverbs 21:31 that the horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. Our united front is show love and remain complete reliance on God so we can be ready for the spiritual battle that ensues. And this time, Wednesday Night Lives and Vacation Bible School, because I think we forget that. And I needed that reminder because I met with pastors this week. Every time we come in this place, before the first word is said and the first song is, is, is led, we enter into a spiritual battle. Satan is after your heart because he knows that God wants you to be overwhelmed with God's love for you. Satan wants to stop that. It happens on Wednesday Night Lives and it happens in VBS and in camps and Disciple Nows and all that stuff. One common goal, love. Moving on to chapter 11. Chapter 11 deals with the northern conquest, and unlike the southern and the middle parts of Canaan, the northern conquest just seems to fall rather quickly. As we have a similar situation where the kings begin to align and they move into full attack mode, and that's a big difference between the middle parts and the southern part of the promised land is that the north goes into full attack mode. They're not going to wait for Israel just to show up at their city gates and to attack them. They begin to align each other and they move forward to move the attack to Israel. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 11, it says, When Jabin, king of Hazar, king, heard this, he sent to Jobab, king of Madon. Um, I'm going to just destroy these, so if you know how to pronounce them better, then you can do it in your head. And to the king of Shimron and the king of Ak. Yeah, and to the kings who were in the northern hill country and in the Arabah south of Chinaroth and the lowland. And I actually spent like all week like enunciating these to the best of my ability. But Nafathdor on the west and to the Canaanites to the east and the, and the west and the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Jebusites and the hill country and the Hivites under Hermon in the land of Mizpah. And they came out with all their troops, a great horde. And the number like the sand that is on the seashore with very many horses and chariots and all the kings joined their forces and came and encamped together at the waters of Merom to fight against Israel. Verse 6, And the Lord said to Joshua, What does he have to say to Joshua over and over again? Do not be afraid. Man, these kings came with a mission. The language that we're given is a horde and the number like the sand that is on the seashore with very many horses and chariots. This is power. This is the appearance of power. And they're not waiting for Israel to come to them. They're going to bring the fight to Israel. This is a change here in the book of Joshua. This hasn't happened before. Not in this way, at least. And they see these chariots and horses which is new in Joshua as well. We haven't had any mention of chariots and horses. This is a very sophisticated army, very powerful, very well-produced army. 
And imagine as Joshua and Caleb looked upon this horde that was coming at them to come into battle, images of Egypt began flooding into the mind. Because we haven't had the mention of chariots and horses since Egypt. And as Joshua sees this horde, I, I wonder if he begins thinking back. What did God do to the last army that came after us with chariots and horses? <laughs> oh yeah, Red Sea. He wiped them off the face of the earth. But Joshua's like us. He's human. He, he, he re responds emotionally. He sees things with his minds and, and try to figure it out and process it, just like we do in life. And sometimes we see what's in front of us, or we see what we understand, and it overwhelms us. And so God, knowing Joshua is just like us, the very first thing God says to Joshua, which he said numerous times already, is, look, Joshua, do not be afraid of them. These kings made a very strategic error. They left their fortified cities and they came out to the open land to fight Israel. But they also were lacking the one thing Israel had, and that was Yahweh. God was not on their side. And throughout Joshua, we get this reminder over and over again, and it's something I have to keep hearing God say when he says, do not be afraid, is that reminder, look, there is no obstacle that is too big for me. It may be too big for you. It may be too big for this army, but there is no obstacle that is coming at you that is too big for me, the one true God. And we need to hear that this morning. Whatever is laying on the horizon, whatever is right there in front of you, there is no obstacle too big for God. And I know I've said this the last several weeks, almost every single week. Our obstacles, our trials are never bigger than the power of our God. And we have the promise that Joshua has that he is with us, he will never leave us or forsake us. Now, how do we apply this to our one common goal? Because in this world, you know what, we, we continue to wrestle with this idea in, that, you know, the world says we should keep Christianity in the church. You should keep your faith in the church. You know, that's nice, but there's a separation of church and state. And so some of us are very reluctant to share about our faith, to share about what God is teaching us when we enter into, into God's house, and we open God's Word. Some of us are very fearful of doing that, and we need God's Word. Do not be afraid of them. Because no matter how big and how bad this world is, it is not as big and as bad as our God. This world is still under God's rule. He is the one that sits on His throne. And I think we forget that at times when we want to live out our faith with a conviction because we are scared of what people may think or what people may say or how they may not like us anymore. This world is under God's rule and we are under His rule as His children and no matter what obstacle it is in us loving people as God has loved us, it's not bigger than our God. Nothing is. Coming back to the passage, if you want to jump in verse 18 of chapter 11, there's an interesting verse that just draw out. It says, Joshua made war a long time with all those kings. We don't know how long it was. We can't be sure. It wasn't something, I mean, we read it in a matter of, of paragraphs and sentences, but the Bible wants to emphasize, God wants us to know this, this took a while. This was a battle that wasn't just happened over, overnight. And I think we need that reminder in our own battles in life. 
Yes, we come to God in our prayers, and yes, we lift them up, and we, we ask other people to intercede for us, but that doesn't mean our battles are just going to over, dis, disappear overnight. It's going to require struggle. It's going to require hard work. It's going to require discipline. It's going to require perseverance. But in the midst of it, our God will prevail, and we belong to Him. So whatever battle you may be going through, because I don't know why God keeps wanting me to bring this up, but there must be battles in this room. It may be tough. You may want to quit. You may be wondering why God is doing this to you. Trust He is bigger. He has a plan and His purpose. And as we sang right before we even opened God's Word, you are good. And your plans are good. So I'm just going to trust your Word. I'm not going to be afraid of this. I'm going to follow you through it. Another cool thing happens in these passages of Scripture here is we get to do a little Bible math. I don't know if you like math or not. Um, I used to love math. Uh, my son is surpassing me in my mathematical abilities at this point in time, and he's only in eighth grade. So I don't know what it says about me, but I used to think I was pretty good at it. But in verse uh, 7 of Joshua chapter 14, and we're going to get that in a couple weeks, Caleb, remember good old Caleb? Caleb was one of the 12 spies and went with Joshua when he came back and he said, yeah, we can take them. And the other 10 kind of rallied Israel against it. Well, Caleb reappears in chapter 14 and he speaks to Joshua about how he was 40 years old when Moses sent he and Joshua and the other 10 spies into the promised land. So then we jump to Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 14. And we're told that Israel wandered around in the desert for about 38 years. I know we say 40 years of wandering, but there's some period of time that they kind of collide and, and get that number. Which means that if Joshua's 40 when he spied out, and then they wandered for another 38 years, that would make Joshua 78 years when they came into the Promised Land. When well, Joshua chapter 14, verse 10, Caleb comes to his good old buddy Joshua and says, Look, I'm still pretty strong, I still feel pretty good, but I am 85. And so I'd kind of like to settle down and receive my inheritance. And the reason I bring this up, because it allows us to know, even though we've only come into 11 chapters of Joshua, that seven years have taken place. And a lot can happen in seven years. So we get this word in verse 18, Joshua made war a long time with all those kings. And even though some fell on the next day, it was a period of time over seven years of hard work and trial and perseverance and discipline. It was a constant battle. And so you may be in a constant battle, and I know seven years doesn't sound great, but think of that in perspective of your entire lifespan. Seven years really isn't that long. I'm not saying God's going to lead you through a battle for seven years. I'm just saying sometimes battles take a while. Sometimes we've got to learn. Sometimes we've got to grow. Sometimes we've got to actually be able to see what God is doing. And they aren't defeated just overnight. Well, chapter 11 brings the conclusion of the conquest. Except in verse 21 and 22, we get this little bit of information. See, the Bible just drops these little things in here. It says, And Joshua came at that time and cut off the Anakim from the hill country, from Hebron, from Debir, from Anab, and from all the hill country of Judah, and from all the hill country of Israel. And Joshua devoted them to destruction with their cities. There was none of the Anakim left in the land of the people of Israel, 
only or except in Gaza, in Gath, and in Ashdod did some remain. So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had spoken to Moses, and Joshua gave it for an inheritance to Israel according to their tribal allotments, and the land had rest from war. And this is just interesting insert that I think we can read over because it's Anakim. I don't know what that is. Well, the Anakim were a group of people known as giants. Some think it may be the same group that is referred to as the Nephilim in Genesis. Whether that's the case, if you look in verse 22, and I know we don't have a map in front of us, but you can look later if you'd like. It says that all the Anakim were devoted to destruction except... For the ones in Gaza and Goth and in Ashdod did some remain. Now those three areas were land that was ruled by the Philistines. Now, a little Bible trivia. Can you think of any other giant who may have come out of the Philistine area that plays a pretty predominant role in Scripture of a story we may like a lot? Not every at once, but thank you. Was that Tommy or Larry? Okay, that's Larry. Goliath, right? Goliath was this, this giant, and this gives us this foreshadowing that there was still an obstacle within the land. And it's just a reminder in Scripture that even though we have one common goal, even though God will go with us and fight our obstacles, even though God tells us not to be afraid and continue to be faithful and pursue after Him, we are always going to have giants and obstacles in life. You're always going to have giants and obstacles in life. And, and these Anakim, they're not people that it seems like Joshua is even fully aware of and, and that they're still there in the land, in the land, of Philist, in the land of, with the Philistines. But they're there. And you and I have obstacles that we're fully aware of in this moment, things that we're struggling with, things that we're dealing with, things we want God just to do something about. And once we get through those, man, those are awesome. We celebrate those victories. We worship God. We have those mountaintop experiences, and we know God is good, and we, we, you know, we're emphatic about it. We have to understand that even the victories, even the mountaintops, there are obstacles that we've yet to see on the horizon that are coming. I bring that because sometimes in Christianity, and there's a message out there in American Christianity today that that is not the case. God wants to bless you and rest you. If I read through Scripture, I do not see God's Word defining Christianity as smooth sailing and easy. It's not always going to be rainbows and lollipops. We're not always going to come to church when the preacher says God is good. We're not always going to want to say all the time. We're not always going to want to be faithful to what God is calling us to do or laid upon our hearts because we're in the midst of a wrestling match with God Himself. But don't let that hinder your faith that He is good, that He is with you, and He will never leave you or forsake you. And even though we may not like what's going on in this moment, He says, do not be afraid of them. You're going to run into obstacles. You're going to run into frustrations. It may be with people at church. It may be with your own family. It may be with coworkers. It may be with people that you've been trying to share about the love of God in their life, and they totally shut you down. We have to be aware they're coming. They're there. And some of them we can see, and some of them we can't. 
you're always going to have obstacles. That's part of the growing. That's part of the trusting, the testing of our faithfulness. Chapter 11 ends with this very great statement. I'm sure Joshua is finally glad to, to experience it. It says, the land had rest from war. Now we're going to see in the next couple of weeks, because you would think, oh, that's a good place to end the book of Joshua. <laughs> that there were still some issues and still some things. The entire land wasn't fully conquered. The conquest wasn't fully complete. The people that lived there were decimated, but they weren't all destroyed. But after all this battle, after all this toil and all this struggle, we did this foreshadow of eternity. The land had rest from war. As God's people were going to struggle, we may continue to bicker and complain, disobey God. In the midst of it, God is faithful. In the midst of it, God wants to be our peace. And there's going to come a day as God's people, our lives and our hearts will have rest from this war around us. We will be at complete peace with the God who loves us and has always been with us. And we'll have complete understanding of why some of the things happen the way they happen. Jesus said in John 16, 33, in this world you will have tribulation, you will have trouble. And Jesus says, but take heart. That word take heart, guess what that means? Do not be afraid. I have overcome the world. What a great promise. No matter the trouble we experience, no matter the battles we go through, I belong to Him who has overcome it all. And there will be a day, I may not be experiencing it in this moment, in this time, but there's going to be a day my heart will have rest from war. The Bible says in Revelation 21, Behold, the dwelling of God is with man. And he will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. That's where God's taken us. That's where he's leading us. There's just going to be a few battles on the way. A few obstacles. You may be here this morning, and this promise is spoken, but you've yet to accept it. Which means this promise isn't something that you can fully hold on to as your own. The Bible tells us from Genesis that God created all things. He spoke them in the being. being. That's what's given His power and His right to be God. And then God created mankind for a relationship with Him. The Bible tells us shortly into that in Genesis chapter 3 that man decided that they were going to do something God told them not to do. They were going to disobey. It's what the Bible defines as sin. When we do something that we know we shouldn't, that's sin. And that sin separated the first man and woman from God in that moment, and they immediately understood it. They immediately knew something was wrong. And you may be here this morning and you've yet to accept God's love for you. And in this moment you, you know something is wrong. 
Something's not right. And so what do we try to do? We try to do exactly what they try to do. You can go to Genesis 3 and read it. They understood something's wrong, so they try to cover themselves. They were ashamed of the way God made them. And Satan still tries to use that tactic, to make you ashamed of the way God made you. To make you try to put things on that aren't meant to be there. We do it in our own life where we try to maybe just be good enough or to look a certain part or act a certain way. But the Bible reveals I can't remove my sin. I can't remove my disobedience. And God knows it too. So the Bible tells us from Genesis into the New Testament, there's these constant battles and these constant obstacles and, and we constantly wrestle with obeying God and trusting God and, and understanding that God is with us and speaks over us. And sometimes we do it right and sometimes we don't. But God knows this. So He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to rescue us. And Jesus did it by living a perfect life, a life you and I couldn't. And they killed Him for it. They placed Him on a cross and they put Him in a tomb for three days, but He did not stay there. He came out of that tomb and the Bible says, When I believe that God loves me that much, he would do that for me and I confess that I am a sinner and I need God's forgiveness and I believe that Jesus died for my sins and rose again that I can be forgiven the Bible says when I believe that in my heart confess with my mouth I will be saved maybe you're here this morning and that's exactly what you need to begin a relationship with God through Jesus Christ Jackson's going to come up and lead us the song of the invitation, I'm going to invite you to come down and say, Pastor Mike, that's what I need. Maybe you're here and you're in the midst of a battle of an obstacle. And you need that reminder that, that God is with you. And He tells you not to fear those things. Just to remain constant with Him. Finally, perhaps you're here and you've got a relationship that's off. You're not loving that person the way God commands you to love that person. And so that's actually impacting your relationship with God. Sometimes we don't see it that way, but it does. Because I begin to get angry and bitter, and eventually that anger and bitterness turns on God. And the Bible commands us as God's people to seek reconciliation with someone we may have an issue with that's keeping us from loving them. Look, just because we forgive them and we love them doesn't mean that that's going to change their behavior but it allows me to let it go. So maybe that's a difficult decision you have to do and, and fear is coming up and God says to you, as he says to Joshua, do not fear them. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what's going on in this room right now, what the Spirit's been speaking, but I do know God is good all the time. Now's the time to respond. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day.